0: This is Alicia Free, a badass belly dancer, musician, and real food enthusiast here to help you feel a little lighter. Each show will dive into music that makes us want to dance. We'll share secrets of looking smoking hot in costume and everyday life. We'll dote on delicious whole food that makes us glow. And I'll throw in a damn sexy dance move you can try at home. Salit started belly dancing in Israel when she was 21, and she did not expect it to become her profession and the foundation of her own belly dance school. I met Salit at Art of the Belly when I took a super fun cane dancing class from her and I love her sass when she dances, as well as her commitment to authenticity and the sisterhood that she's created with other dancers. Let's start with the sisterhood part. Please tell us about
1: Shiva. Sure. So, first of all, thank you. Thank you for that great introduction. It's very sweet of you. And it was lovely meeting you at Art of the Belly. And I'll be happy to talk about Shiva, which stands for Sisterhood of Eclectic Belly Dance Art. And that's why it's a sisterhood. It's a growing community of women who love to learn belly dance, love themselves, love each other, support each other in a very warm and judgment-free environment. Cool.
0: And I've seen on social media, how you dance at each other's bridal showers. It looks like you are cultivating a really wonderful group of friends as well as dancers.
1: Yes, it's all about the community, so we have the classes, we're professional, we go through the curriculum, everything that a dancer needs to know, from technique, to history, to culture, to music, we have a lot of emphasis on the musicality, we cover the rhythms, and really connect with the music, and a lot of emphasis on improvisation, because a lot of people don't have that confidence, and it's one of our main values to give that confidence to our sisters. And we also stay connected outside of class. We take class trips. We go watch belly dance shows all together. We used to do a lot more before the pandemic, and now we're getting back to that as things are slowly coming back. And we perform for each other. Yes, we have our own events, and we're invited to other events, and we connect with the greater community of belly dance in the New York area and beyond. And it's all about the fun, really.
0: Great. You describe belly dance as the epitome of femininity with movements that emphasize every curve in a soft yet powerful way. You've also said that you were more of a tomboy when you were younger. Identity is powerful and it can be really hard for us to do something that we believe is against our identity. So do you remember what attracted you to the femininity of belly dance when you're identifying more as a tomboy?
1: Hmm. It's funny. I don't really remember seeing a belly dancer growing up. Even though I know for sure I watched these movies that definitely had a belly dancer in it. We used to have Israeli films, but also there used to be what we call the Friday night Arabic in Israel. It was basically a different Egyptian film each week. And everybody would just tune into that because there were only two channels on TV. So everybody would sit around the TV on Friday night and watch the Arabic film. I always wanted to try it. There was a belly dance school across the street from my high school, but I was too shy. So it wasn't until my mother started taking classes there that I felt confident to go in. Once I did start exploring belly dance videos and shows, what stood out to me the most was the power of a dancer to just stand and do nothing and be so amazing and express so much with such little movement. It was very powerful. And I'm like, wow, I've never seen that freedom in any other art form to just stand still, but be so energetic. So I tried to insert that into my dance. Nice. One of my friends that dances with me, sometimes she has
0: a background in ballet and modern, and she was like, oh my God, you guys just pose so much. You pose. Yeah. And I didn't think about that. Ballet dance is my only dance form. So it never occurred to me that that was different than any other dance forms. And it's such a great point, like just to stand there and just look gorgeous and confident and strong, right? In those films, there's like an entire room full of men smoking hookahs, right? Watching this one woman. So the Israeli films had belly dancers as well?
1: Yeah, there was one Israeli film specifically, a very famous one from the 80s, I think. And that dancer ended up becoming very religious, and strayed away from that world, so it's very interesting.
0: There are a lot of famous Egyptian dancers that danced when they were younger and then got very religious too, right? So that's kind of a pattern. And Mm. are there any Israeli dancers that are famous in Egypt or through history that have been famous in Egypt?
1: Uh, Not Israeli. There are Jewish dancers, but Egyptian Jewish. It's problematic, as you can imagine, to be accepted as an Israeli in Arab countries, so No.
0: (laughs) Gotcha. I didn't know if there was like one exception because sometimes you hear about somebody who somehow walked this line between cultures and things, but okay, cool. That makes sense. On your website, shibadance.com, in your bio, you wrote that when you were younger, you took ballet and you wrote that you hated putting your hair up in a bun and wrapping it in a hairnet. And I feel the same way. I've always hated putting my hair up in a bun, like tight. And I want my hair to do its own dance too, just like you. And you also wrote that you felt like your movements were too heavy for ballet, but heavy is perfect for stomping a debka, right? And you love to lead debka and you also do it beautifully and with passion. It was so much fun to be pulled into your debka with a live band playing and Scott Wilson playing and Art of the Belly and sneak through the room and a line of dancers holding hands, that was really fun. What are some ways that we can learn how to do DEBCA with energy similar to how they do it in gatherings in the Middle East?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, great job on joining me in the line. (laughs) I grabbed you up first and you went with the flow. You never took DEBCA before, right?
0: No, I've never actually taken a DEBCA class.
1: Yeah, and then you just jumped right in and did great. And then we had that whole line and it was so much fun. So thank you for that. The heaviness, it's great for Egyptian style because you need that kind of relaxation and letting things slowly unfold rather than being very high up and light in the air as ballet. So definitely it's great for that. For debka, actually, yes, there's a lot of stomping, but there's a lot of very quick Footwork and jumping, which you actually need to be very light on your feet for. So, I was very bad at footwork before, so I had to work on that a lot and condition my body. And <laughs> it was hard, but definitely worth it because now I really feel like I'm flying. So, I have that heaviness, but when I dance step back, I feel really like I'm flying. So, I do need some of the lightness. However, a little bit about Debka and what are the characteristics of the Debka. It originally from the military showing their pride in their victories. So it's a militant dance, obviously by men generally. And then later on, it became a social dance as well, dance at weddings and celebrations. And that's where we mostly use it now in a line. And then it evolved into the more theatrical style with ballet and more steps and separating from the line. So because it was originally the pride of the military, the main characteristic of this is pride. So holding the upper body really tall and open and strong and keeping that energy up, very strong and held and proud. That's the key.
0: So it's really big in Eastern Europe, right in the Balkans, to do line dances Is there a crossover? Did it come from one spot? Did they all come from the military? Do you have any idea?
1: I don't know that much about other cultures. There are a lot of line dances in many different cultures. If you notice, which is really interesting, that Debka and Irish dancing are very similar. I'm not sure how that came about. It could be a coincidence, could be not. But yeah, this is specifically Levantine style. So Egyptians don't do this kind of... They have the Saidi, which they're proud of, but it's a different feel. Cool. The Levant.
0: So Armenia, Turkey, Syria, Israel, like
1: all of that is the Levant? Levant is uh, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, Palestine. Technically, Thank Israel is not included in that. <laughs>
0: so gotcha, gotcha, That area right there. <laughs> so upper body is upright, very proud. So you would think about like river dance on Broadway, right? They're all like <laughs> lined up facing the front, but you think about that sneaking through and going circular. Exactly. And do so they all pinky. What do you hold usually when you do Debka? The whole hand, yeah. The whole hand, right? And what do you have on the end? Do you have something on the end when you're leading? Where'd she get in? (laughs) This thing.
1: (laughs) So this is called misbaha And it's originally prayer beads. That's what they hold. This one that I'm holding up, I made this with the troop leader that I'm in. It's made of his old (laughs) t-shirts, which he assured me were clean (laughs) before we did this. (laughs) So I guess this is common to improvise with. And it has... Red, green, and white colors, which are Lebanon colors. Ah. So we can do a little demonstration. Holding.
0: Oh, it actually has a handle on it, and then it has a little weight on the end so that it spins well. Is that what's going
1: on? It's yeah, just a lot of tape. Yep, like, tape. Oh, nice. It's very improvised. Yeah. It's pretty
0: cool. Is that something people would put in their purse before they go to a party, or do people carry those
1: to a place where they're
0: going to line dance? Or?
1: I'm not sure, but I think Muslims generally just have prayer beads on them. Okay. Uh, that's what they use. They just pull that like out. They use yeah. prayer beads. That's so yeah. interesting.
0: Cool. I've seen prayer beads in Buddhist and Hindu countries, but I didn't realize that there are prayer beads for Islam as well. That's cool. I want to look that up.
1: Yeah, it has like all the names. of Allah. Oh, no. <laughs> so know. Are there like a
0: hundred, right? Is it? 99. Yeah. 99 names of God. Okay, cool. So that's part of the dance. Yeah. You never know where prayer, religion, and dance actually intersect in this context. You know what I mean? Usually it's completely separate, but... I don't know. I feel God when I dance (laughs) a lot of the time, but maybe it's not appropriate for some people. But it's interesting that they involve their prayer beats, but it's a celebration, right? It would be like a circumcision or a wedding or something that people would be.
1: Yeah, I guess Um, it's a part of the culture, a part of the patriotism, you know, the religion and the the land. They go hand in hand usually. All right. So I looked this
0: up. Is there a danceable song that you would like to share? Now it's time for some Music.
1: Danceable song. Yes, I shared Ali Gara, What Happened to Me. This version is by Saeed Balaha. It's instrumental, but originally it had lyrics. This version, it's one of the first choreographies I learned back in Israel. So it has a sweet, sentimental aspect to it. It's different. You hear that classic old school sound and real instruments. Not that now you don't have real instruments, but it's very different. It's very classical and has a really nice beat and nice melody. And it's just pleasant to dance to.
0: It's like the perfect length to do several things, right? It's like five minutes long. <laughs> and I was looking up the drummer in this recording too. And he's a famous Egyptian drummer. I was looking at it from like the 80s. And it had the feeling of when I started dancing too in 2000, like the pieces that my teacher would pick. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, it's a pretty piece. So what happened to me is Ali Gara, huh?
1: Yeah.
0: Cool. Do you speak some Arabic too? A little bit.
1: <laughs> I'm embarrassed. I should know more. I've studied it most of my life. <laughs> I'm nervous about speaking, so I understand a lot more than I can speak.
0: Nice. Yeah, it's a lot harder to put a sentence together than to take one apart. Is there a key moment when you realized that you want to focus on teaching Egyptian-style belly dance?
1: I don't really see myself as purely teaching Egyptian style. In general, I don't think there is such a thing as pure Egyptian, unless you focus on the very traditional folklore. But my base is very Egyptian, and I am very drawn to that style of dance and music. But I always have to add my own. It's always some kind of fusion, something innovative. I like to add from everything that I learn from everything that I observe, from everything that I just feel inside I don't know where it comes from. I insert that and sometimes I'll do it with a fan veil sometimes I'll add flamenco or a Halloween piece once. I don't think it had anything Egyptian in it. <laughs> it's just trap music. I like to do different things so I don't really label myself pure Egyptian but I'm definitely drawn to that stuff. Cool.
0: And you've stopped using the term Oriental when you talk about belly dance. Tell
1: us about that. Yes, very important topic. I keep researching it. Oriental It's always bothered me. It always confused me why we use this especially in America, when it used to describe Chinese, Japanese people, and then it became also Middle Eastern and North African. And now it's like half the world is considered Oriental. And it doesn't make sense at all. It doesn't make sense to group Chinese and Japanese. It doesn't make sense to Egyptians and Indians. But all of that together really doesn't make sense. So I researched it and like, why are we insisting on using that instead of belly dance? Which I know belly dance has its stigma and a negative connotation and people try to stay away from that because it's associated with prostitution and low class and all the things that we don't want to present ourselves as and we constantly fight against and it's really hard to change people's minds over that so we find other terms that sound more elegant more sophisticated so i understand that but for my research oriental is a colonizing derogatory racist term that was created to separate us from them. So, us being the sophisticated, superior, civilized West, which is primarily Britain and France, and them, as often referred to, the inferior, primitive, barbaric, uneducated East. Orient. Hypersexualized but, the artwork, right? Yeah, let me read you a quick quote from Edward Said's Orientalism, very important book. The Orient was almost a European invention and had been since antiquity a place of romance, exotic beings, haunting memories, and landscapes, remarkable experiences. So, to me, referring to myself and to this dance as Oriental, it's fetishizing and exotifying and dehumanizing in a way. It's like people over the Orient are not real people. It's this fantasy land with fantasy people. And if they're not real people, we don't have to treat them with the same respect. And I am real. (laughs) I am not a fairy. I'm not a mermaid. I'm not a fantasy. It's great to be creative and to take on different characters and play around with that. But at the end of the day, it has to be a character. It can't be the person. We're still human beings and... I put a lot of emphasis on presenting how real I am personally. So it's very important for me to present another perspective, something for people to think about. I'm not telling anyone what to do or to completely change their minds. I want to just have them go and continue researching and just question why do we use this term? Why do we think that this colonizing term is better than that colonizing term? And see, maybe we should use another term. So for now, I stick to belly dance with all the stigma around it, because at least to me, it's descriptive in some way. Of course, we move more than just the belly, but there are a lot of belly moves in this dance. So at least it's descriptive and it's not connected to a specific place because this dance already evolved way beyond its places of origin. And what we do now, what we present, what we put on stage, what we see in videos is very far from the origin, from the folklore, from the tradition. They both exist at the same time, but now there's a completely new dance style that deserves its own name. So I feel like belly dance is appropriate until we come up with a better term for it. So like calling it Raks like, sharki like Eastern dance, to me it's still using the term oriental in a way, or just rocks Well, it's dance, but it's in Arabic, and this dance is not only from Arabic-speaking countries. So how do we describe this? It's just something that I want people to discuss, just to have that awareness. I don't have the answers. I just have the facts and my opinion and my feeling. So I'm in a band, and
0: we call it Middle Eastern music, but Middle Eastern is also a colonial term, mm-hmm. Right. But you want the audience here to understand what you're talking about. But at the same time, we were like, okay, what else can we call it? How about wanna dance? West Asian, North African, Hellenic. But that one is like, you're just looking at a continent and looking at which part of the continent it's in. So that one didn't have like a colonial, you know, history or connotation. So we were like, nobody's gonna know what the hell we're talking about if we call it wanna dance. But Yes, it's everywhere, right? There's belly dancing done beautifully in Japan and in South America and just all over the entire world. And the core of the music is still Arabic, but it's in Turkish, I should say, too, right? But it's everywhere. It's got a life of its own on all of these other places. So that makes a lot of sense. When you hear very high up Egyptian dancers use the word Oriental dance. It's so interesting. We're all just using what we have for different reasons, the words that we do for different reasons. I think the most important part is that you think about it, that you think about what it means to you and what it's going to mean to the listener. And you just be aware of some possibilities there. To me, that's the most important part. It's been interesting, too, with the word tribal, how in the U.S. we've stopped using word tribal, but other places, they're like, we can still use the word tribal in other countries. right? It's all very interesting. <laughs>
1: that's the thing. When the Egyptians and the teachers, they call it oriental, it's really to elevate themselves in the art, which, yes, that's what we want to present. But again, I can't speak for other people, and I don't want to tell other people how to feel about something and if they should or should not be upset about something. But from my perspective and experience and study, it's that deep effect of colonialism hundreds of years later that people of the quote-unquote Orient see themselves as inferior because they have a different culture from Europeans. So they try to adapt to the European culture by adding more ballet steps that are European, the costuming, the whole presentation of it In order to make it more sophisticated, it has to be more European. British and French. I had never made that distinction before, too. When I think of
0: the West, I kind of thought of all of Europe, especially Western Europe. You're right. It's really the British and the French because they were the ones who were the most active colonizers for whatever reasons there are. I haven't researched where that all came from, but interesting. Yes. Huh.
1: Because ballet is (laughs) French,
0: right? But the Russians are who dominate ballet at this moment, aren't they? And the Russians are actually dominating, from what I understand, the ballet dance scene in Egypt now. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I just don't speak Arabic, don't write Arabic, and can't see who's doing it in Instagram in Arabic. But yeah, it's it's an evolution.
1: Yeah, which is great. We shouldn't stop evolution, but we should also not forget the roots Mm -hmm. at the same time. You no, it's interesting too, Sally, because I feel like there's been an evolution
0: in what the New York City dancers say. You know, I feel like 25 years ago, the New York City dancers would say, you have to do it this way. You have to call it this. You have to, have to, have to. There was like a vibe of, we know better. So listen to us because one person said that it has to be this way. Now we're like, no, no, and we're not saying it has to be this way. We're saying this is the history. This is where we're coming from. And this is my choice. You know, it's a very different approach. And I think it's a lot more open-hearted, you know, which is great.
1: I hope, I hope there are more teachers like that because I trained like that a lot and it affects our self-esteem when a teacher tells you, you have to dance like this or you're not a good dancer. And then you try to fit yourself into this box that you don't fit in and then you just feel bad about yourself. So I really appreciate teachers who encourage you to be you, but teach you the tradition and the history. So you know that well, but then you do what you want with it. So definitely, I think that's a better way. To teach and to learn. It takes time though,
0: right? It's not like a Zumba class. You can't just drop in and be like, look at my moves. They come out of nowhere. I can do whatever I want with them. You're like, no, actually there's something going on here. (laughs) Right? There's a lineage. Tell us about your experience in Israel, in the Israel belly dance world, and how it's different from your work in New York City.
1: So I started belly dance when I was 21, and then maybe two years later, I moved here. So I didn't really work as a dancer in Israel. I was still kind of a beginner. So when I started working in New York, I didn't think it would be a problem to tell people I'm Israeli. I I was never ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of it. It's just where I happened to be born, and that's how I was raised, and it's a part of who I am. And even though I knew there was some issue with the conflict, maybe Arabs will not accept it, I still wasn't afraid To say I was Israeli. And then little by little, people started telling me, you can't say that or people will not work with you. And then I noticed, for example, I danced to this Egyptian restaurant. And as I mentioned, I love Egyptian style. So like, yes, I can really be myself hardcore egyptian music and dance and they're gonna love it and they appreciated the music choice and they appreciated my dance and they got up and danced with me and everybody was happy and this guy was dancing with me and dancing 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 and then he started talking to me in arabic afterwards which was very flattering (laughs) but he thought i was egyptian but then he said oh where are you from and i said from israel and then i saw his face just drop it was like oh Thank you. And he walked away. Like a second ago, you were so happy. But then if I'm Israeli, you're not happy anymore. But you enjoyed my dance, so what does it matter? And that's the experience I get. And in certain situations, I am not allowed to say I'm Israeli. Otherwise, I can destroy my own business, somebody else's business. It it could cause a lot of problems. And it doesn't make sense to me. It makes me very sad when I'm in all kinds of Arabic weddings, but especially the Palestinians. They're so happy. I bring them joy, this is why I'm there. And they love it, but if they knew, they would not be happy anymore. And Palestinian especially, it makes me sad that we're forced to hate each other. Even when we're not there, we're all here. We all came to the U.S. for a better life to get away from all of that over there. But still, we must hold on to the hate. And I understand it, but I don't see why it has to continue. So that's my experience. One part is identity, right? You might feel like you're not being Israeli
0: enough. You're not being Egyptian enough or Palestinian enough if you don't maintain this level of hatred for people that you would otherwise have no problem with. You know, it's racism. It's all those things. It's that pattern of human thinking, of putting somebody else down in order to raise yourself up. But
1: yeah, Israelis generally don't have a problem with me working with Arabs. They're generally concerned for my safety because we have this innate fear of Arabs and Muslims, and especially Palestinians, very understandably not correct, but understandable. So they're generally happy for me. They just want to know that I'm safe. But Arabs, not all Arabs, of course, and not all Palestinians and not all Muslims, but in general, they don't think we should be working together on any level they can't just look at the dance and the music and that moment of celebration there's always the history and the politics in everything and it's such a shame because if we put all that aside we can all just celebrate together just enjoy music and dance and art and then it doesn't matter where we're from
0: and you actually served in the military right in israel
1: yeah it's mandatory
0: yeah and you can speak from your heart like this it's beautiful Okay. Oh, this is going to such a lighthearted party after such a meaningful conversation. Here we go. Let's do some dancing.
1: Damn sexy dance move.
0: What is one of your favorite belly dance moves that you can teach us to do right now?
1: Oh, fantastic. It has different names. Some call it a double arabesque or a brush. It looks like a circle on one hip. However, there's a twist in it. And essentially it is a figure eight forward. So if you know how to do a horizontal figure eight forward, so you twist one hip forward and then you slide the weight back and then you twist the other one forward and slide the hip back and then you round it and you have figure eight forward. So this is essentially the move that we're doing. All that's changing is now I'm with one foot forward with the heel up and I do the same move. I twist the hip forward, slide it back. And then I snake in and out.
0: Your toe is sweeping the floor, right? Yeah.
1: So this is just a hit. If I let go of the foot and just relax it, then I'm brushing and brushing and brushing. Or I can really pick it up and then it kind of looks like an best here. It's a great move and it has to be done from the correct place. Because if people think of a brush, then they might do that from the foot. And it's not from the foot. It's all in the waist, in the obliques, just like a twist and a figure eight. And then the whole leg and the foot needs to relax you need to feel your leg just kind of being pulled down and relaxing and all the work is in the hip and the waist and then you get that beautiful motion and it's flowing and it's fluid and also it's not a circle so people need to understand first do the figure eight forward with both feet flat and then pick up one heel Cool. Thanks. And you sent this gorgeous
0: video of you dancing in stone streets. It has the move in it too. So I'm going to have the move in the show notes. Salih just showed us in this interview, as well as the very professionally done dance video that she has where she's doing the move. It's the yeah. double arabesque. Yeah, very cool.
1: Yeah, this video was actually shot in Israel a few years ago in Jaffa, a very beautiful location. It has that old Arabic style to it, and it's a great location for videos and photos. And when I went to Israel that time, I went to one of my favorite dancers in Israel, Nava Aharoni, to coach me for that video. Can you and tell us how to spell their name? Nava is N-A-V-A, Aharoni, A-H-A-R-O-N-I, Aharoni, yes definitely look her up. She's one of my favorites. She's very versatile and very elegant and very honest. (laughs) If you ever train with her, you need to brace yourself. She has no filter. She will give you the truth in your face, which is why I love her. And she coached me for that video. And I guess it was a very Israeli experience for me. And dancing barefoot on those rocks, on the stones, on the cobble road, it definitely brought out something different and unique and special.
0: and you're wearing gorgeous costumes and the sunlight is on you and you're glittering and yes it's very cool nice what your feet are touching when you're dancing I think is also very important if you tune into it yeah right yeah it's important I was on a stage the other day that was too hot (laughs) my feet were burning every time I went up into the sun so I was doing a lot of choo-choo (laughs) shimmies I should have just worn shoes but I didn't it was funny
1: (laughs) To protect our feet, They're very important.
0: <laughs> right. It was not like a burn like I felt it afterwards. It was just like, woo,
1: woo. <laughs> a little too exciting for
0: my feet. So I didn't have that relaxed quality. <laughs> You're talking about with the brush. I didn't have the relaxed quality. Not when I was up in the sunny part of the stage. Now let's take a moment to dote on delicious whole food that makes us dancers glow.
1: Featured Lighten My Body Food. What is one vegan whole food ingredient that you love? Soy. (laughs) I can't live without soy. Tofu, soy milk, soy sauce. I'm mostly vegan. I say mostly because I cheat sometimes because it's very restricting. And sometimes you just got to eat a slice of pizza, you know. But without soy, I would not be alive (laughs) right now. Very good protein. Just be careful not too much. It's a lot of restriction. You like tempeh?
0: No, no. It's made out of soybeans. Oh, it's so good. It's Indonesian. They ferment it. They're always like, do you ferment yours in the banana leaf? Like they get all excited about it. And they have it fried in the, the carts in the street. And oh, I love tempeh. But, uh, but yeah, that's another fun thing. I also love soy very much. I'm sad soy is so demonized. I think part of the demonization of it is actually by the meat and dairy industry. <laughs> they don't want us to replace animal agriculture with other things, but... Yeah. I'm glad you picked soy because, yes, it's one of those things people pretend that it's evil. Tofu is damn good. Whenever people say tofu is not good, I'm like, you just don't know how to cook it. It's that simple. Yeah. There's a reason why all over Asia, people that eat meat also eat tofu. Yeah. It's because it's good. What's your favorite thing to do with soy? Do you cook?
1: (laughs) I hate cooking. (laughs) (laughs) What can we do? Sometimes we have to make an actual meal, hot meal. So the easiest thing to do is just tofu stir fry with some vegetables, whatever I have. Super quick, easy, like a little garlic, onion, some oil, throw in the tofu, throw in the vegetables, season it, done. Over some grain, quinoa, rice, whatever you like.
0: I remember I have been vegetarian for a few years and I went to study abroad in India. And the girls that I went to study abroad with, they were all vegetarian. It was weird. And they were like, Alicia, what do you eat? And I was like, macaroni and cheese. Like I had no idea how to cook. They were like, have you ever made a stir fry? And I was like, I don't know how to make a stir fry. <laughs> like, I had no idea. I was 20. I didn't know how to make a stir fry. And then I was taking cooking classes in India which was awesome. It was part of our curriculum in the college where I was studying. And then I go to Thailand and I got all these people coming to my kitchen to teach me how to cook because they felt bad for me because I was vegetarian. And it was not as easy. And I didn't speak Thai the first year that I was living there, you know? So they would come to my kitchen and bring their ingredients and cook something for me without fish sauce in it and cooking their homemade dish, their style dish that they make without the fish sauce and without the oyster sauce. And it was so sweet. It was the best way to learn how to cook ever. And then in Indonesia, I lived with this woman who was this incredible cook as well. And my parents are macrobiotic vegan chefs. So I just feel like I've just been blessed by the universe with all this amazing food education. I take cooking classes wherever I go. I took vegan cooking classes in Vietnam. I just love eating. I love vegetables, right? There's so many things you can do with vegetables and soy. It's infinite. It's like dance. (laughs)
1: <laughs> There's so many flavors everywhere. Oh. Yeah, I feel like vegetables have way more options and versatility to them than just meat and meat and meat.
0: <laughs> yeah, and just the color. Your body wants to eat color. You know, when you go out to dinner with a bunch of people and they order like one vegan dish and it comes out and it's just this gorgeous rainbow on a plate and everybody wants to eat it and you're like, eat your brown stuff. <laughs> you ordered brown stuff. <laughs> Let's play dress up.
1: Make you shine, costume tip. What is one costume tip that you want to share? I'm glad you're bringing up costumes because I'm going to send it back again to the Orientalism. First of all, of course, you have to choose a costume that's appropriate for the style, the venue, the mood, whatever you want to express. And you need to study that. You need to understand general costuming for different styles. But I think you also need to be true to yourself and what truly represents you and your message and your style and not just get caught up with trends if what you're going for is to show that you're trendy fine choose the latest trend and go with that if you're trying to be yourself and create your art don't let anyone influence your choices because at some point all the costumes become the same and then it's a style everybody has to wear right now all the same style but why do we have to if i choose to cover more If I choose to show this or to show that, we should be able to have that choice rather than all my teachers and all the dancers in the videos, they wear a bra and belt or they show half their ass, then I have to show that as well. But if we go back to the Orientalism, what woman in the quote unquote Orient ever walked around in a bra? (laughs) Like That's not traditional in any way. It was shown in films. In the golden era, because that's an influence from Hollywood. That's the Orientalist fantasy. That's how they want to see the women of the Orient, right? It's not true to the culture at all. Sure, the belt, there's always some kind of wrap or sash around the hips. But putting a woman in a bra and exposing everything in a very open skirt, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with exposing anything. do whatever you want. But understand where it comes from. <laughs> it's how men want to see you. And you don't have to in order to be a belly dancer. If you want to cover, if you want to wear something looser, whatever. Choose whatever you're comfortable physically and and mentally in. And what highlights your personal body and your best moves. And don't focus on the trends and what it's supposed to be. Just do what's right for you. That's a tip. Nice. (laughs) Yeah, that's
0: a tip. (laughs) Honestly, even just the way we dress every day, do we have to dress in order to meet someone else's expectations or in order to pretend that we're somebody else? Or can we just wear what makes us feel good? And the costume is a whole different level of that, like really choosing something special for this special occasion, you know? I remember I was interviewing Mael and in Belgian. She's this gorgeous dancer who gets her fancy costumes. That's who she is, right? She's like, I'm the fancy costume buyer, you know, and she looks beautiful in them. And I was like, you know, I found a lot of my costumes, like in the side of the road. <laughs> like, oh, this is great. I can make this. You know, she was giving it away after they move out of their apartment. And she was like, oh yeah, you're American. You can do that. And I was thinking like, oh yeah, right. I didn't have this like, expectation that I have to like, you know, always have a costume, like somebody in a movie. I was like, I'm going to make this thing. And I was interviewing Melodia of Melodia Designs too. And listening to this old interview with Heather Stance too. And this like, you know, the women out in California in the nineties and like creating tribal fusion or you know whatever they want to call it ats and they were creating it and they were like we weren't dancing in the arabic clubs we weren't dancing in the lebanese restaurants we weren't dancing in the greek restaurants we were dancing in a cafe it was a completely different thing they weren't trying to be something they were creating something new you know it's all very interesting how we box ourselves in and kind of force ourselves into these little pictures of what we're supposed to be when we don't have to
1: right Know your audience. If your audience is expecting a very classical-looking Egyptian or Turkish costume, then if you want to work for that audience, that's what you need to bring. But the costumes that we wear today are not related at all to traditional. <laughs> in any way. so it's already evolved. People have already taken that artistic liberty to alter and present whatever they want. So why can't we understand what's traditional? But you can play around with it. Because like we said, this is now a new style. The rules have changed and we constantly change the rules. So decide what rule you want to follow. And that's an exciting part of watching people perform, right? That they're doing
0: something you've never seen before, wearing it in a way that you've never seen and moving a little bit in a way that you've never experienced, right? That's the excitement of life. Folk dance is so awesome, but I know somebody in that folk dance in that village did something a little different. Everybody liked it, and then everybody started doing it, right? So it's like, it isn't preserved, you know? And do you have a feel-good, look-good habit that you would like to share?
1: Feel good, look good habit. I always say, I don't love my body because it's beautiful. It's beautiful because I love it. And I always try to do what's best for it. I don't always succeed. (laughs) I sometimes push myself beyond my limits. And I'm like, nah, I can do this. But it's eating what's best for you, your sleeping habits, how you maintain your fitness, your health, your conditioning, and whatever brings you joy and pleasure. And don't worry about what it looks like. Just do whatever you need to do for your body and your soul. And you will not only look good in your eyes, but others will see a lot more beauty in you. On your
0: website, you wrote something about, this is not for weight loss. You know, I was like, oh, wow. Because I've written stuff on my website that's like, yeah, yeah, lose weight, belly dance, whatever, man. Because they say you give people what they want before you give them what they need. You know what I mean? But I really liked how boldly you used to get that on your website. This
1: is not about weight loss. This is about health. Yeah. Experts always tell me you should present this as a weight loss program because that's what everybody wants. But I'm trying to tell them you will be happier if you don't focus on losing weight and altering your appearance. You will be happier if you learn how to do this move and you listen to this fun music and you forget about what you look like and you interact with these people around you. And ultimately, it will lead to weight loss. It will lead to your fitness goals because I can tell you from experience. I didn't like my body growing up, and I was that happy with this and that, and I was ashamed to show my curves and to wear tight skirts. And then one day I decided, okay, either I do something about this, I exercise, I do whatever I need to do, I work hard and I change it, or I accept the way it is and just let it go. And I was very lazy, so I chose to accept it, <laughs> I'm not going to bother, I'm just going to live with that, I'm going to decide that I'm happy with it. And then I started dancing and I focused on just getting the technique and getting the conditioning for the technique. And I need my flexibility and I need this move to be correct. And I need the ability to express myself. And that's how I started working more and more on my body. And now I'm super fit and and I'm in the best shape of my life. And I feel great. And not to toot my own horn, (laughs) I constantly get compliments on my body. You know, it became beautiful. Maybe it was beautiful before and I didn't acknowledge it. But my focus is always... On the skill and what is needed and not the appearance of it and if you focus on that i can tell you you will be much happier and much more fit and good looking <laughs> by the standards that you're going for
0: but there's that whole concept where you're driving and if you don't want to swerve into the other lane you don't look at the other car right? You focus on where you're going, not where you don't want to go. So when you think about I want to lose weight, it's kind of assuming that you're already doing something wrong. Instead of being like, I just want to be a beautiful dancer. I want to feel really good when I dance. I want to feel beautiful in my costume. I want to feel beautiful when I perform, when I dance for myself. And then if we're looking at the diet and the weight loss part of it, it's not as inspiring. I totally understand where you're coming from with all of that. Just in terms yeah. of the way human minds think, right?
1: Yeah, just shift your focus, change your goals, and you'll be much mm-hmm. happier. And you'll reach many more goals than you expected. And focusing on the weight loss will get in the way of becoming a better dancer. Because you will not be focusing on improving your technique, improving your understanding of the style, enjoying the moment. You know, you will just constantly be concerned about your look. What's the point?
0: <laughs> How many calories did I burn in class? <laughs>
1: Tell us about something exciting that you have coming up. There's always something brewing with me and with Shiva. Do follow us, not just for our regular classes, which are always exciting, but we organize, we host all kinds of events, belly dance socials, just having fun together and putting our skills to practice and not having a mirror to look at, just enjoying the moment, enjoying each other, enjoying the park. And all kinds of productions. So I would say follow us social media and the website and all that. <laughs>
0: Perfect. It's S-H-E-B-A, Shiba, just like it sounds. Sari, this was so much fun. <laughs> Thank you. It's so precious to hear how much you care about the history and how much you long for a connection that sometimes is missing from the greater world belly dance community because of political lines and whatnot so thank you for speaking to that and thank you for growing the sisterhood we don't have our extended families around us all the time like we might have 200 years ago so we create our sisterhood wherever we are so thank you for cultivating that and for being the bold solid that you are
1: thank you thank you for acknowledging that i feel very honored thank you so much
0: I hope you've enjoyed the show. Please subscribe and let your friends know what you got out of this show. Dance with me on YouTube, listen to the music I've selected for you on Spotify, and try some free vegan recipes on AliciaFree.com. This is Alicia Free, hoping this show helps you feel a little lighter.